0: Daniel chapter 10, you know, if you've looked ahead, there are 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. So Daniel 10, 11, and 12 encompass one final vision that spans all three of those chapters. It's a detailed elaboration. If you were here for Daniel chapter eight, you remember the vision of the ram and the goat and the Medo-Persian empire and the Greek empire and the battle clash that they would have these empires that were to come in Daniel's age. Well, chapter 11 gives us incredible detail on Daniel chapter eight. So the three chapters are all surrounding this one vision. Chapter 10 is the intro to this vision. Chapter 11 is the vision, the details of the vision itself. And it's so detailed. And that's why many people believe that there's no way it could have been written in the sixth century BC it had to be written in the 2nd century it had to be written after these things already happened because no one could get that amount of detail prophetically but we believe and we know that uh, this was written by Daniel in the 6th century and this is part of the revelation of a god who knows the end from the beginnings so not a problem for us but 11 is the vision and then chapter 12 gives us the conclusion to the vision and the conclusion to the entirety of the book of Daniel And as I read this, I have to confess that I had to read it a number of times because it was difficult. If you've maybe read ahead, it's hard to follow. It's challenging to follow what's happening in the chapter. But as you read, as I read, as we give ourselves to meditating, these things become more clear. So if you read this and you go, I have no idea what this is talking about, you're not alone. I feel that same way sometimes. But it's a challenging chapter, a great chapter, And three things really stuck out to me. Number one is that God reveals the future truthfully. God reveals the future truthfully. God is not gonna tell you what he thinks you wanna hear. He's not a God who has problems with people pleasing. He is not trying to win your favor by telling you what he thinks you might like to see happen. He's gonna tell you the truth about the future even if it's hard to swallow or difficult to handle. And you'll see how difficult it was for Daniel. And that's why we have the second thing that stuck out to me was the whole experience, the vision, the angelic communication, and you know, the experience that he had with this angel all took a toll on Daniel physically. So God reveals the future truthfully and the experience takes a toll on Daniel physically. So watch as we go through, God gives us so much detail about how Daniel is responding to this experience. And the third thing is that Daniel learns about a bigger battle, surprisingly. It's a remarkable chapter and it may just change the way you pray. And I hope it does. It ought to change the way you think about what happens when you pray. So this could be a radically life-changing chapter for you as you open up your imagination to what's happening as God really reveals what's going on behind the scenes as his people on earth pray, particularly Daniel. So no question for you this morning, we're gonna dive right in. Verse one says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. So you remember Belteshazzar was his Babylonian given name. And the year Daniel gives us is the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So if you read the book of Ezra, chapter one, you find out that the Babylonian captives were released by Cyrus in the first year. So they had already started to go back. Not as many went back as could have. Many stayed behind in Babylon. Daniel was one of those. We don't know why Daniel chose to stay and live out his days in Babylon. Could be because of his age, could be because he knew that rebuilding Jerusalem would be a job for the young and the able-bodied, and and he's in his mid-80s at this point. So whatever the case might be, he's still in Babylon. It's the third year of Cyrus, and that's important because again, first year, people start to go back, and you'll need to know that information in a few minutes. So he says the message, this message that was revealed to him, it was true. It's trustworthy. Again, what I love about the Bible, God's word is trustworthy. But the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. Only one more thing to mention here. If you like to take notes, the words appointed time, actually, if you look back into the language of it, the Hebrew, it actually is the word warfare. And I've read a few things on why and how it got translated at a point in time. It really doesn't make sense to translate it that way. It makes better sense to say, but the warfare or the conflict was long. That's why Daniel is so troubled. This vision he has has to do with his people and a long-term conflict that they will be engaged in. So as Daniel sees his people going back, this message comes in this vision that's really troubling about this ongoing conflict for the Jewish people, for his people. So that's kind of the intro to the intro. Verse two says, "'In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. "'I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, "'nor did I anoint myself at all, "'till three whole weeks were fulfilled.'" So again, pay attention, it's repeated, three whole weeks. So Daniel is engaged in prayer, for three solid weeks, and it's so heartfelt. I mean, Daniel's a compassionate guy. When he feels, he feels things deeply. We've seen that as we go through. And what's going on in his life is after the captives are released by Cyrus to go back, there's problems that ensue. It doesn't go as smoothly as maybe Daniel was hoping, as maybe the people were expecting. They rebuild the altar. They struggle to rebuild the temple. It doesn't nearly measure up to what Solomon's temple had been. So the people that had seen Solomon's temple gone into captivity and come back, when they build this new temple, it's really disappointing and they actually cry and weep over it. So there's division. Then they face a lot of opposition. They have to stop the building project and it gets derailed. So there's a lot of problems and Daniel is worried about God's plan for his people. Remember, they were hoping for you know, going back to Jerusalem and God is gonna, everything's gonna get rebuilt and Israel will be great again like they were under the kingdom of David. So here's what I want you to connect with during this chapter, is Daniel was concerned for the destiny, the future of his nation and his people. And I know the tension of our lives right now is that many, if not all of you, are concerned for the future of our nation. Anxious, worried, and the future of the American people. You've got legitimate worries, legitimate concerns, And just like Daniel, it's because you care deeply about your people. It's because you care deeply about this country. So you'll be able to connect with how Daniel is feeling toward Israel with the way you might be feeling right now. It's so serious for Daniel that he's grieving over it for three weeks. He's not fasting in the strict sense of fasting and praying to get God to change his will about Israel. He's trying to understand what God's will is. So he's not treating himself to pleasant food or to meat, or wine. He's not enjoying the bounty of his life. He's not concerned with washing and the anointing of himself, rubbing oil to smell good. They didn't have deodorant like we do. They didn't shower as often as we do. So they used cover up, little ancient Israel anointing oil to make you smell good. So the idea is he's in a state, an emotional state, just like when you grieve or you mourn, you're like, I'm not concerned with food right now. Right now, I'm not hungry. Right now, I'm not worried about how I look and how people see me. He was consumed by worry and anxiety over his nation. And because he'd seen in this vision, a long-term conflict that he didn't understand and that troubled him. Now, verse four says, on the 24th day of the first month. That may not mean a whole lot to you. You wonder why is that even there? It meant a lot to Daniel. Some of you, if you know your Bible, you know Israel has two calendars. They have a civil calendar and a religious calendar. And the religious calendar begins with what feast? Do you know? It begins with Passover, which is in the spring. And Passover takes place on the 14th day of the first month. And then it lasts a week. You've got the 14th day to the 21st day of the month would be Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the Jewish calendar, So evidently, as Daniel's preparing his heart for Passover, now he's in Babylon, but Daniel still equates his life and things to the morning and evening sacrifices and to Passover. He's conscious of the fact that this is when Passover would be celebrated. And what would that commemorate? Do you remember? What does Passover commemorate for the Jew? Commemorates freedom from slavery in Egypt, freedom of his people. So he's thinking about Passover. He's thinking about the state of his people and the troubles, the struggles, the divisions, the opposition they're facing to rebuilding. And it's got him in a funk, you know, a good old fashioned funk. You've been in one of those, haven't you? So on the first month, as he's thinking about all these things, this memory, these thoughts have spurred his prayer and he's by the side of the Great River that is the Tigris, not the Jordan. That's how we know he's still in Babylon. Babylon. I lifted my eyes and looked, literally I looked up and behold a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz. Now I have no idea what the gold of Uphaz would look like, but you can gird my waist with any kind of gold. I'll be satisfied. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished or highly polished bronze. So it would be reflecting the lightning and the torches like fire would all be reflecting from this arms and feet like burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Now, as you read and do your research on this passage, you'll know there's a great amount of controversy over who is this person. He said it's a man, obviously, It ain't no man that I've ever seen. This is some type of angelic presence or being. And some say this is what we would call a pre-incarnate Christophany. In other words, Jesus, you know, didn't come into existence when he was born in Bethlehem. He is the second person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. He's always existed with God. So sometimes in the Bible, Jesus shows up in a human sort of form and then disappears again, does something and then disappears. So that's what we call a theophany or a Christophany, an appearance uh, before Jesus was born. Some say this is Jesus. They base that on Revelation chapter one. John describes a similar vision at that time. I have some reasons to think it's not. We know it's not Michael, the archangel. There's a few angels that are mentioned by name in the Bible, Gabriel, Michael, Michael. I believe this is probably Gabriel or some other high-powered messenger angel of God. We don't know for sure. And that's not really important. What's important is that his appearance was unbelievably striking. I mean, Daniel looks, but he's hard to look at, like looking into the sun. And he even hears his voice, and it sounds like his words are like the voice of a multitude. Imagine a thousand people all singing or all talking at the same time. It's this very thick and rich depth of voice. And that's what he hears from this angel that he is experiencing. Verse seven says, and I, Daniel alone, saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision. So Daniel wasn't alone there by the river. Whatever he was doing by the river, he wasn't alone. There were other people around And Daniel said, I alone saw the vision for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but great terror or shaking or trembling, convulsing fell upon them so that they fled and hid themselves. I don't know if you've ever experienced like an uncontrollable, almost involuntary shaking when you're in a place of anxiety or fear, could be in a doctor's office, could be in a courtroom, could be in in various types of situations in the presence of someone who is very powerful. You sort of start to shake a little bit and you can't really control it. So these guys, they don't see the vision. Daniel doesn't head for the hills. He stays. These guys see something. They experience something and they're so scared, so undone that they beat feet out of there. Almost like the experience of a panic attack. It's immeasurably overpowering physically. Verse eight says, therefore I was left alone. And pay attention, the word alone is mentioned a few times through this passage. And I find that fascinating because it's amazing what God does with people when they're alone. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a home where the TV was always on. And I've been to houses and the TV is always on because what does it provide for us? Background noise. What I learned about me, and I'm not saying this is true of you, but I know it was true of me, is that as I moved out of the house and had my own apartment and lived there in Charlottesville, I had the TV on all the time. And what I realized was that deep down, I was lonely. And the background noise presented the feeling of having company. So I made it a practice in my life to cultivate the ability to be alone. Because I know now, as a Christian, it's one of the most comforting things that God has done for my life is he's promised he's always gonna be with me. So now I don't experience the loneliness that I used to experience because I know that I can talk to God anywhere all the time. I can share whatever I'm thinking, feeling, so I don't have the TV on as background. As a matter of fact, we ditched our TV many, many, many years ago. It's too tempting. Because when you're not alone, it's distracting. There's a lot of input in our lives. You think about what God did with Jacob in the Old Testament when Jacob was alone. He'd sent his kids off and his family off to meet his brother Esau. And there he is alone by the Jabbok River. Do you remember what happens? A man, it's God, comes to him and wrestles with him all night when he was alone. And with Elijah, Elijah has the great victory on Mount Carmel and does business with the prophets of Baal and kills them. And then he hears Jezebel, the wicked queen Jezebel, wants to kill him and he takes off. And he's hiding in a cave, discouraged, depressed, some would say, and he hears a great wind, there's a fire, there's an earthquake, and God isn't in any of those things. So he's alone in this cave. And what he realizes is that God is in this still small voice. Sometimes God is gonna to try to get you alone. And we have blurred the line, social media blurs the line between what is for me and what is public. Do you have you noticed that? We have a difficulty discerning what's private, from what's public. There are some things in your life that God is doing for you and the world doesn't need to know. Now, this vision was just for Daniel. Daniel's going to talk about what it means. It is for others to know. It's for us to know. Don't be afraid of being alone. And if you are afraid of being alone, sort that out with God. There might be something deeper there you need to think about or figure out or get some help to figure out. Because being alone is sometimes a really powerful time when God can talk to you. So there was Daniel left alone. And when I saw this great vision and I had no strength remained in me, literally the word strength is to be firm. So I think I picture Daniel as having sort of gone limp. As he sees this vision, no strength remains in him. He goes limp for my vigor or literally my glory or my honor was turned into frailty or to ruin. So it's as if Daniel, the stoic mid 80s, man of God, loses his composure, his honor, anything but composed. He's anything but acting sort of in this stoic kind of manner. It's turned into frailty or ruin. And he says, I retained no strength. Why does God tell us this stuff? Sometimes we think that the things of God come easily. There's a labor. We labor in prayer. And truth sometimes is heavy. An experience with God is not always light and airy. Sometimes the things of God come at a cost physically. People labor over truth and labor over the word of God. And this is what we see happening with Daniel as he's having this spiritual experience. He's drained, he's weakened, he's wrecked, he's limp, he's overwhelmed. I wish I could explain to you, only preachers understand, I've said this, Preaching a sermon for me, it's like all week I gestate. And then Sunday morning, I give birth. And the ladies say, oh no, don't you go there. Uh Uh-uh, you're not going there. Okay, so I back out of that. But the idea is I spend the week just kind of thinking and processing and milling over. It's growing in me. And then when I come, it's physically exhausting. Preaching by two services last week at the second service. I apologize. I just felt like I was so drained last week, second service going over the 70 weeks. And I kept saying years and days and I kept getting my words mixed up. And that's because it's physically exhausting. And there's sometimes in our lives where spiritual things can be physically exhausting to us. And that's where Daniel is. He says, I was just undone, drained. Yet, verse nine, he says, yet I heard the sound of his words. And while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Are you a sound sleeper? If I'm sound asleep, I don't hear nothing. I'm out like a light. Daniel is not narcoleptic. He just didn't, boom, fall asleep and go out on the spot. He's in some kind of hypnotic, unconscious state. I equate it to, I remember having surgery years ago and the anesthesiologist was there with me and I was on the gurney and they said, okay, we want you to count backwards from 10. And I said, 9, and that was it, I was out. And I had a nurse first service tell me that when you go under anesthesia, the last thing that you lose is your hearing. So it's possible, and even if you see people that are in a medically induced coma state, that it's possible for people to hear. So you can be sort of in an unconscious state, but yet still be able to hear what's going on around you. And that's what's happening with Daniel. He hears in this state with his face to the ground, very humbled state, but he hears the words and suddenly verse 10 says, "A hand touched me which made me tremble or stagger on my knees and on the palms of my hands so again tremendous detail now daniel is up from his face now he seems to be on all fours in response to this hand if i'm in an unconscious state and a hand touches me i'm freaking out who touched me but daniel staggers to his knees and he's on the palms of his hands and verse 11 he said to me this angel oh daniel Man, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Let's have a picture of Daniel like a boxer. He's been knocked out, sort of on the mat, some state of consciousness, and now this angel, although the presence is overwhelming to him, there's a gentleness about it. The angel touches him and speaks to him. And now Daniel has been lifted and now he sort of staggers to his hands and knees. And now he's upright while this angel is speaking to him. And while he's speaking, Daniel is now standing, but still kind of precariously trembling, vacillating there on his feet. And I just love what the angel says to Daniel. Oh man, greatly beloved. And you can circle the word beloved, The Hebrew, you can look it up. It's the word delight. Oh man, in whom God finds great delight. Now Daniel had been worried over his sins, the sins of his nation. Daniel's worried about the future of his nation. And the angel gives this reassurance to Daniel. And I find people need this kind of reassurance. We think that one day my behavior is good and God loves me. And the next day my behavior is not so good. I'm not doing great today. And God's not real happy with me. We can quench the spirit of God and we can grieve the spirit of God. But if you are in Christ, God delights in you in the same way he delights in his own son. How do you think God feels about Jesus today? Think he's delighted with his son? He's pretty tickled at his son and what his son has done and and the relationship they have. And if you're in Christ, then how does God feel about you today? Think he finds you delightful to him? I know it's hard to believe, right? Because we've grown up in a church culture that says God likes you when you behave. He's like Santa Claus. He's watching to see if you've been naughty or nice, to decide if he wants to give you good things or curse you. You are not subject to God's anger. You are subject to his delight. And Daniel needed to be reminded of that. And you might need to be reminded of that. Some people have a hard time believing that God could actually like them and actually be delighted with them because we're not delighted with ourselves. I frustrate me, I discourage me. I can 't believe I did it again. I make that same stupid mistake, time after time i 'm frustrated with me. But God Steves, I knew you before you were born. I know everything about you, and i 'm delighted with you. that 's encouraging. Daniel gets that encouragement. Oh man, greatly beloved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel. And I was thinking, oh, uh, oh, you noticed my fear. <laughs> you know, This is the thing we have to be reminded of in the presence of God, do not fear. Do not fear. Now there's some people in the presence of God that should fear. If you've rejected him, if you've rejected his son, God shows up to you, you should be afraid. But for his children, it's an overwhelming experience. Not many people have it. And you should be skeptical of books that present a different kind of experience with God. When people are in the presence of this kind of spiritual power, it is overwhelming. You are not going to give God a piece of your mind when you are face to face with him. You should keep all you got. It is going to be overwhelming to a human being to be in that place. So, again, you're greatly beloved and then verse 12 don't fear daniel and daniel was fearful for his people fearful because of the vision that he'd had about ongoing conflict for israel he says don't fear daniel for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your god your words were heard and i have come because of your words you ever afraid god doesn't hear your prayer Remember, how long, I had you underline it or think about it earlier, how long has Daniel been praying? Somebody say three weeks. Three weeks, that's what it says. Daniel's been praying three weeks and I wonder how much of that he was going, does God even care? Is God even listening? He's laboring for three weeks in prayer and the angel gives Daniel this insight and he says, from the first day, from the first day, you set your heart to understand your words were heard. So then what took so long? Well, hang in there to the next verse. We'll get there in just a minute. But before we get there, from the first day notice, it doesn't say that you set out to change God's will. One of the things you'll have to notice from this is Daniel sees this long-term history of his nation, his people. It's not so bright he needs to wear shades. The angel is, but the short-term future is difficult for Israel. And we've seen that played out. Years and years and centuries of anti-Semitism, the Jews have been through the ringer. It's not been an easy history for them. And Daniel sees all that in this vision. And what God is not gonna do is change the future for Daniel. What God is gonna do is help Daniel understand the future, truthfully. Because sometimes we want God to change his plans to suit us. And I like that. It says that Daniel humbled himself before God so that means Daniel was in the presence of God and Daniel knew who was in charge. But some people come into prayer and they think they're in charge. God, here's what I want you to do. I know what's right. I know what this country needs. Job had to find out that lesson. As Job tried to counsel God, then God says to Job, okay, now you sit there and I'm gonna talk to you like a man. Where were you when I laid the foundations of planet earth? Did you tell the T where to stop? when we question God and his plans and his ways and his motives and his actions, Daniel humbled himself before God. That means in the presence of God, he said, you're an authority and I'm not. God, I want what you want. And in my prayer life, I know some circles will say, you gotta get in front of God, you gotta be bold, you gotta tell God what you want. And I'm not opposed to that. But even Jesus, when he prays, says, oh Lord, if it's possible, I mean, if you can fit it in, if this would be a good thing, then take this cup from me. But nevertheless, you know the verse, not my will, but your will be done. Look, I'm gonna be honest with you guys. When I pray, I am very cautious to tell God what to do. I got a hard enough time with decisions in Palmyra. Far be it for me to tell God how to run his world and his universe, because I just admit, I don't know all the facts. I don't have all the information. I've been wrong. I know, I know. My wife is at home gasping, watching on live stream. She's going, "Uh uh-huh, he has. I've been wrong. I've done and said some things and eaten my words. Have you done that? And I go, man, if I'm praying, I'm like, God, I want your will. I don't know. I don't know what I want, God. Tell me what I want. I don't know what's best. I know what I think might be best, God. And if this is your will, then let's do it. But God. That's called humility in prayer. We're called to humble ourselves before each other. And this humility in life and this humility, this yieldedness to God, this yieldedness to other people in the body of Christ, this yieldedness of heart, this is what gets God's attention. Your words were heard because from the first day you set your heart to understand and you humbled yourself, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. It's almost as if the angel is saying, That if you didn't pray that way, I wouldn't have come. That's radical. These are the things. Humility always solicits the response of God. Humility is a human being saying, I am human, you are God. I don't know what's right. You know what's right. I am fragile. You are eternal. And I yield myself. I yield my life. I yield my marriage. I yield my children. I yield my nation to you, God. Now look at verse 13. This is gonna crack wide open in a second. Watch what the angel says next. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. So did you catch the scene? The angel shows up, he says, from the first day you started to pray, your words were heard. So the angel, this unnamed angel, heads out of the starting gate from heaven to take this message about the future of Israel to Daniel. And right away, he's met, he's withstood. Someone rose against this entity called the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, what human being could stand against God's angelic messenger? This is not a human being we're talking about here. When the angel says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, so the entire time Daniel's praying, there's this battle going on and it's between the angel and a demon. Behind the kingdoms of the world and their opposition to the ways of God, there are demons. And this is the realm we don't think about, we don't see it. God created, this is gonna to be tough for you to understand, there's stuff God created that you can't see. And just because you can't see it, doesn't mean it's not there. Scientists to this day talk about dark matter. They peer down there, telescopes out into outer space, and there's something out there called dark matter. We see its influence, but we don't know what it is can't see it, it's called dark matter. Well, there are spirits of darkness in this world. We can't see them, but we see the influence. This is interesting. Someone gave me this book, Between Services. This is a David Jeremiah commentary on the book of Daniel. And I cracked it open, of course, to Daniel chapter 10, and I read this. And by the way, this was first written, and I think the copyright is 1973, when David Jeremiah wrote this. Good news that God's word never changes. 1973 was the original copyright. And he says on page 210, demons are delegated to the United States and are hovering over our entire elective process. They work overtime in the halls of government to abort the purpose of God and his plan. In other words, Satan runs this world. And John confirms that in First John, where he says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So there's this battle that's happening and behind kingdoms and behind, well, even Jesus says it to Peter when Peter tries to get in the way of Jesus going to the cross. What does he say? Get behind me, Satan. So Satan's job and Satan with his demonic army, they're in the heavenly places battling against God and his angelic forces and against the will of God. This is fascinating to me because I think one of the most damaging things that's been handed to us in terms of our imagination is how we imagine angels. You know, I think one of the saddest things we've been exposed to is this picture of angels as chubby little babies. That does not excite me to pray for help in the angelic realm. I'm like, man, if I really need help, I'm not gonna ask a little chubby baby. And you know what I'm talking about. We got this picture of little chubby babies on clouds. And we're supposed to be encouraged to pray. And i in a spiritual battle. God sent the chubby babies. I mean, what is that all about? That's not the picture you get in the Bible. You got flaming swords. You got six wings. You got faces and heads like lions. And I mean, you got a different kind of picture. Read Ezekiel. But when you start praying about powers and kingdoms, Elisha, his servant, wakes up and they see their surrounded by the Aramean army. And the servant freaks out. going, Oh no, we're surrounded by this army. And Elijah says, man, you know, have your cup of coffee, wipe the sleepers out of your eyes. Greater are those who are with us than those who are with them. And the servant counts. He goes, one, two, there's two of us, there's thousands of them. And Elisha says, oh, God open his eyes. And God opens the servant's eyes and he sees army and chariots of fire. The angelic army is there, not pictured in little chubby baby chariots, little toy cars. They're in chariots of fire. The picture of angels is one of war and flaming swords and power and wings. And I mean, it's a powerful picture. One angel of God kills 185,000 Assyrians during the reign of Hezekiah. One angel. The end of the book of Ephesians, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, after talking about family relationships, what a spirit-filled family relationships look like. Don't be drunk with wine, but keep being filled with the spirit. Walk circumspectly, all these things, redeeming the time because the days are evil. This is what Paul is getting at. Then he talks about what this spirit-filled marriages look like. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, honor your husbands. And then he talks about parenting and how do spirit-filled children behave. And he talks about servants and masters. And he gets all that out there, spirit-filled life. You want to live the spirit-filled life. This is what it looks like. And then he says, finally, after that discussion, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the trickery, the wiles of the devil. There is a devil and he's tricky. And he seeks to devour God's people. He prowls around like a roaring lion. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. You having trouble in your marriage? You having trouble at work? You're struggling with anxiety over the election? Our battle's not with flesh and blood. It's not Democrat, and Republican. You're way too low. You're aiming way too low with your prayers. Get those prayers up into the realm of heaven. God, send your angels to support your will for our nation. Lord, empower your people to accomplish your will, to be courageous on your behalf, to speak boldly, to be a light shining in darkness. Our wrestling is not on a human level. The wrestling that happens is the war in the heavenly level against good and evil. God's will versus Satan's desire to destroy everything God has created. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood because powers, principalities, rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, church, take up the whole armor of God so you can withstand in the evil day. This is interesting to me. There is God's sovereignty. God is going to accomplish what he wills, but it is not accomplished effortlessly. For three weeks, the angel battles this demon, the prince of Persia, this demon that's controlling and empowering the Persian empire and the Persian government. For three weeks, that happens. So there's effort. You think everything in your life, everything spiritual is gonna be effortless. How many of you have come to realize that we labor in prayer, that we toil? Sometimes when we go to bed at night, we're exhausted. When I was working as a horseshoer, Physical exhaustion, that feels good. When I laid down the night physically exhausted, that felt good. As a pastor, the emotional exhaustion is way more difficult. Spiritual exhaustion, we call it burnout. It's real. Pastors experience it. There is effort, and there's great effort involved in living the Christian life, not just in our realm, but even in the angelic realm. You will win, but it's not without effort. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to support me or to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So again, Daniel is getting more revealed to him. Now Michael shows up. What we learn from scripture is that Michael is one of these chief angels. He has, in terms of hierarchy of angels, he is of the highest rank, and his duty seems to be guarding and caring for the nation of Israel. Isn't that wild? Israel has their own special angel who was really busy in history, really busy, especially during the Six-Day War of 1967, miracles that happened then. But Michael is tasked with caring for Israel. So this angel comes to bring the message, gets withstood by this demon, and he was there. Notice again, I had been left alone with these kings, a different word, and it's plural. So this one angel fighting all these kings, these demons of the Persian Empire, who are trying to keep him from getting this message to Daniel, Michael comes along to help out. And then Michael's presence then releases this angel to then make it finally to Daniel. Notice this is one of the reasons, the primary reason why I believe that this angel we spoke of in the first few verses is not Jesus. I just can't imagine Jesus going, hey, I'm kind of stuck here. I'm outnumbered, I'm outmanned. Can you send Michael to help me out? That's just not how I picture it. So that's why I would say it's not Jesus. Probably Gabriel is my guest, the messenger. Verse 14 says, now I have come. In other words, finally, I've made it to you to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers for many days yet to come. So again, your picture of prayer being that three weeks, three months, I mean, sometimes if you're praying prayers that really matter, that might really cause a battle in heaven to get those prayers answered. They'll get answered. When you pray according to God's will, they will get answered. But sometimes there's a delay because there's a battle going on that you can't see. Strange, isn't it? What a different imagination it creates. So now I've got there and I'm gonna help you understand what's going to happen to, again, it's your people. And the vision is about many days in the future. They're gonna go through a lot. Anti-Semitism, we've lived some of it in the past, some of it still to come and ultimately embodied in the Antichrist. One more quote, and then we'll get to verse 15. Sinclair Ferguson, another Bible scholar said, Daniel was learning that the ultimate power struggle was fought out in a realm of which most people know nothing. It does not lie between Washington, D.C. and Moscow. Its central point is not to be found in the Middle East. Indeed, the world crisis we identify with these locations are actually reflections of an older, more ruthless, more perpetual conflict, namely that between the city of God within its angelic host and the kingdom of darkness which seeks to turn the direction of all history against God and against his people. It goes all the way back to the garden, the seed of the woman and the head of the serpent. Verse 15 says, when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. It's almost like another entity shows up touches Daniel on the lips. And then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, my Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me. You can equate with that, can't you? You can understand overwhelming sorrow because of what you believe might be coming or what you think might come, what the future might hold. Daniel knew it. And I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. When you see people experiencing these types of encounters, they're always draining and overwhelming. Again, be skeptical of the seven course lesson on how to talk to angels and how to get prayer answered. That's hogwash. But people will market anything based on ignorance. What we see is Daniel is just utterly drained. Verse 18 says, then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. So the touch of this angel actually provides strength for Daniel. And he said, oh man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. Whatever happens next, you are loved by God. If you're a child of God, you are loved. Even if you're not a child of God, you're loved by God. You just don't get to experience the special childlike love of the father, of a father to his children. God loves you, but he has to love you from a distance because you won't let him near. You won't let him love you like a father loves his son. But here for Daniel, God loves you, fear not. Why? Because God is in control. Babylon didn't get power because Nebuchadnezzar was so great. Babylon got power because God is so great and gave power. Babylon didn't lose power because they made stupid mistakes, although they did. And the Persians were elevated because they were so great. That happened, why, church? Because God rules in the affairs of men and gives those places to whom he wills. He lifts one up, he puts another one down. Therefore, he can say to you, peace be to you, be at peace. Whatever happens next for America, God is in control. He's on the throne, he has a plan, Our future is secure. You have an inheritance that's undefiled, secure in the heavens, that is waiting, same waiting for Daniel. Be strong, yes, be strong. It doesn't say be anxious, be afraid, be very afraid. Just be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in your witness. Be strong in your testimony to the goodness of God. Be strong in love. Be strong in forgiveness. Be diligent in prayer. Be grateful. Be certain that you know that you know where you stand and be strong there. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. And then he said, do you know why I've come to you? Is this a test? You told me why you came to give me understanding. So I don't know, maybe he's wondering if, okay, Daniel, smelling salts, are you with me now, Daniel? Are you with me? Do you know why I've come to you? Yes, to give me understanding. And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia or the demon of the Persian empire. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. That was chapter eight. The Persian empire is followed by the Grecian empire. And there's a demon empowering that empire. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. Again, I don't know what the future holds, but the angel says to Daniel, I'm gonna tell you what's already been written in God's book, according to the truth of the future. It's already written. For Daniel, it's future, for God, it's history. And he says, no one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. Daniel's not alone. You're not alone. America's not alone. God has those that are fighting for him. No one upholds me against these, the angel says, except Michael, your prince. And you have to read the first verse of chapter 11, because it really is the last verse of chapter 10. Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. So we get this sense of the power of God working to raise up empires and take down empires, to raise up nations and take down nations. And we know that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't fight the same way other people fight. We don't name call. We don't get vindictive. We don't sling mud. Weapons of our warfare are mighty in God. We pray. We pray. One article I read, and I'll close with this, said, perhaps what was true of Christians in ancient Rome and what is still true of Christians in other parts of the world today will also become true of us, losing our livelihoods, our friends, our families, and even our own lives for Jesus' sake. Maybe the time is coming to separate the sheep from the goats, Maybe it'll take some persecution to find out where the American church really stands, who is for me, who is against me, who's just in it for the casual nature of things, for the entertainment. Lord, strengthen us. Amen.